Chair, there we go. No, I think the kids would be relieved not to be here for my message. As, as, as many of you would be relieved not to be here for my message. I was uh, busy memorizing my message during the announcements, but I sure heard a lot of laughter. Isn't laughter a wonderful thing? Isn't it just absolutely great to have a church where people actually laugh a lot? I just think it's wonderful. Um, Chris, did, we, did you pray for John down there? I, I know you told us that he was there. Let's, let's pray for John for a minute. We made jokes about him, but we didn't pray for him. It's okay to humiliate someone as long as you pray for them afterwards. It's kind of a little fake blessing thing that Christians do. You know, we gossip and then we turn it into prayer or something like that. But we're actually going to pray for him today. So um, John is, is uh, apostolic over a lot of churches in South Mexico. Well, all over Mexico, actually, more than 50 churches. And they meet yearly uh, for a conference. And when he started doing those conferences, these churches were extraordinarily religious. I'll give you an example. Um, they had at one of their conferences many years ago, it's probably 10 years ago, they had a, a pastor and his wife from um, Argentina come and speak. And they decided to reject his message and everything that he had to say because his wife wore earrings. Hello? And makeup. Okay, well... That doesn't shock you, but it kind of shocks me. That's religion. That's pure and simple religion. And uh, sadly, most of the churches, Christian churches in Mexico, are very mired in that spirit of religion. So when he first went down there and started speaking to them, he went directly after that religious spirit, and um, it actually broke and an understanding of grace has come and a freedom has come to these churches. And with that has come great power in the Holy Spirit, which is fantastic. And it, it's just it's like going to a different kind of church. The young people have flourished. The music has come alive. There's people getting saved. There's people getting healed. It's, it's really a powerful thing to see. So God's used John tremendously amongst the, these people groups. And uh, I think we ought to pray because I sent him an email and said, what's it like down there? And she said, I said, I always ask two things. What's the weather like and what's the food like? And I asked him about the weather and all he said was, it's unbelievably hot and humid. I don't know why I'm here. And I wrote back and said, you're only there because Jesus is inside of you. And he wrote back and said, even Jesus doesn't want to come here. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell you about these like private conversations that go on between mighty men of God. But, but there it is. You know, the truth has been revealed. Anyway, he's down there giving everything he's got uh, to these people. So let's take a minute and pray. Lord Jesus, we pray right now in your mighty name that you would manifest your presence through John today in, in these meetings and the ones that take place through the rest of the day and tomorrow, that you would manifest your presence so powerfully that people who have been uncertain of you will be certain of you, that people who've had misconceptions about your character 
that you're harsh, that you're, that, that you're more of a judge than a father, that you're looking always for perfect behavior, that they are one mistake away from rejection. Lord, everyone who has believed these falsehoods about you, we pray that your message would manifest through John with such love and such power that they see you differently, Lord. Especially you, Father, that they'll see you differently and that they'll trust you more fully and that they'll enjoy you more deeply. And keep him safe, we pray, Lord Jesus. Bring him back safe and sound. So we pray your blood and protection over him as he travels. Amen. Yes, please. God, I just pray right now that there would be such a baptism that just is poured out over the people that are hungry. God, I just see you doing mighty things, God, through uh, the speaking and through the worship, God, and just coming in power. And so we pray for a baptism right now, a baptism of fire, a baptism cleansing out and restoring and igniting and stirring up, God, passion for you and passion for your gifts and passion for your kingdom and passion to serve and to love and to go hard after you, God. I just pray right now that whatever the agenda was, God, whatever they walked into the room thinking was going to happen, that you would break the mold, that you would come out of the box and that you would do what only you can do and that their eyes and their ears and their hearts would be open and they would be expectant for what you can do, God, beyond limitations, beyond uh, imaginations, beyond what their eyes have seen and beyond what their ears have heard, God. Come and do it for them. And in this place today, we ask for the same thing. We ask, God, that you would move beyond our limitations and beyond our expectations and to do what only you can do because you are good and you are uh, truth and you are the way. And we thank you, God, for Mark, and we thank you for the word he's going to bring. And we just release your spirit to do what you desire to do in this place. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, guys, that was a little illustration. The prayer that I prayed was the prayer that a teacher prays, and that was intercession. See the difference? All the passion and the purpose, that's, that's a spiritual gift. And uh, thank you. Isn't that neat? I can never pray like that. <laughs> I try to pray like that. The only time I prayed like that, can I, I've got the time, I want to tell you a story. This is, this is my humiliation. Um, I've been in prayer meetings since I became a Christian. And in prayer meetings, I always shut down. It's really hard for me to get into it. And, and I've judged myself harshly for that for years and years and years. And we had a day of prayer a few years ago. And um, it ran from early in the morning till late at night. And we had worship components that were broken up into three or four hour slots. And I was taking the one from like, I don't know, six in the morning till 10 or nine or something like that. And I don't like to be up that early and I'm always dog tired. So I get there and there's like, there's like six people and God bless them. They can pray and and I'm pathetic. So I'm just playing my guitar kind of, you know, leading a little worship and I'm really tired. I don't drink coffee. Don't ever drink coffee. So I, I'm really tired and I'm just not into anything and I'm just surviving the meeting. And I look over and I see the coffee and I think, you know, 
I probably need that. I, I probably need that. So I snuck over and I poured a bunch of sugar in there and it was good caffeinated coffee and I put in some creamer and I chugged it down. And then I come back to lead worship. About 10 minutes later, the spirit comes on me. <laughs> and I, I'm not joking. I'm like, yeah, to hell with the devil. Yeah. And I'm just singing as loud as I can. And then pretty soon I join in the prayer and I'm yelling and I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. And I'm thinking, finally, I've broken through. Finally, I'm praying like these guys. And I'm really into it for about 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden I realize it's the coffee. It isn't you. It isn't the spirit. It's the sugar and the coffee. Well, to me, it was a revelation, people. I mean, so anyway. I know, no, no, Kirsten, your gift, your gift is legit. You don't need coffee to be a passionate prayer warrior. I need everything to be anything. Gosh. Okay, enough foolishness. I know you're thinking, how do they ever let this guy preach? This is crazy. Um, but they do from time to time. It's a mercy. This sermon is number five in the Anchors of Hope series, and it's called Living Thankfully with the Promises and the Presence. We are revisiting two of the P's of the Anchors of Hope. The reason we're revisiting them is because I was deeply moved. I don't know about you guys, but when Hope, when John's wife Hope got up last Sunday and talked about her crisis with cancer and how she found hope in the middle of that crisis, it, it really touched me deeply. And I thought, you know, I've got something to say on that subject. So I want to revisit two of the P's, the promises of God and the presence of God. And look at it more deeply as to how those two interact to give us hope. She talked about learning the lesson of thanksgiving, being a thankful person through her journey through the valley of the shadow of death, quite literally. Didn't know whether she was going to live or die. And her story is a living explanation of why the Bible tells us to be thankful people. And believe me, the Bible tells us to be thankful people. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. Now, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, very clearly... This is not an optional feature of the Christian life. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks in all circumstances and giving thanks continually, which means a lifestyle of being a thankful person. So it's really not optional. Why does it matter and how does it work? I think maybe Hope's story meant so much to me because... I went through a period of, of several years of very serious depression. And, um, well, it was so bad, it started with uh, a church split that was very, very painful, involving really, really significant betrayal. And then my mother died. And within, within weeks, 
there was the church split. There was the betrayal. My reputation was uh, slandered. I mean, just really viciously slandered with a lot of things that weren't true. Few that were. But a lot of things weren't. And then um, my, mom, my mother died. And then Shelley got really, really sick. My wife. My new wife. And um, we didn't know what it was. Doctors couldn't diagnose it. She would just walk across the floor and all of a sudden she'd pass out. And uh, she was, her thyroid stopped working, her pituitary stopped working. All these systems shut down. We didn't, she lost, she, she weighed 84 pounds at the worst point. I thought she was going to die and we had no clue what was going on. So you've got all this loss. Life is just horrible in every way. And I went into a depression and for a year, actually about over a year, I prayed to God daily to arrange a car accident for my death. I really wanted to die. And I asked him, would you please do this? I wasn't going to kill myself because I knew it was wrong, but I I didn't want to go on living. And I prayed regularly to die. The one thing, (laughs) I had lost hope. The future for me was, there wasn't a future. For me, everything I cared about was essentially taken. But I continued having my morning prayer time. I don't know why. I don't, maybe it was just raw habit or whatever, but I kept on having my prayer, my prayer time. But my prayer life honestly felt more like a prayer death. He was never present for me. He said nothing. And I had this rich prayer life with the Lord. I mean, like conversational and amazing and nothing. It was like he just wasn't there. And that was the worst of it. It was just like he wasn't there. But I kept showing up for him and I would show up and I would pour my heart out and pour my pain out. Not knowing if there was anyone listening or not. And one day in the middle of this. I realized, you know, I have no peace anymore. I have no peace and no hope. And it's this lack of peace that's fueling my depression. And I was complaining to God and I was saying, I have no peace. I have no peace. Where is your peace? And he spoke a thought into my mind and the thought was a Bible reference. So I looked it up immediately. Irony of ironies. You're in the worst place you could possibly be. You've got no peace and no hope. You cry out to God for an answer. And this is the passage he gave me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if that's not bad enough, the passage goes on to say, I will say it again. Rejoice, Mark. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. No, he isn't. No, you're not near. You don't even talk to me anymore. Don't be anxious about anything. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then, you see the logic? And then the peace of God which you don't have, Mark, which transcends all of your understanding of your circumstances, 
And all of your understanding of where hope comes from and all of your understanding of where peace comes from and all of your religious understanding, it transcends all of those things. It transcends your psychological understanding. It transcends everything your logic tells you about the future. It transcends everything. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And of course, the two words that he was speaking and convicted me with thanksgiving. And then he spoke the first thought into my mind that I had had in many, many months. And he said, when was the last time you came to me looking for peace with thanksgiving? And I said, I don't have anything to be thankful for. I said, my life is essentially over as far as I can see. What do I have to be thankful for? My life is a complete mess. And he said, you've lost my peace because you don't come to me with thanksgiving. From now on, come and tell me everything you can possibly be thankful for. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll try. And at that point, I, was, had, I had my prayer time in the tub. And I thought, the water's warm. Thank you for this warm water. And then I thought, well, I'm sitting in a house, in a tub in a house. Thank you for this house. And then I thought, These are, this is pathetic, okay? But this is what you do when, you're, when you can't find anything to be thankful for. I'm in warm water in a tub in a house. I haven't lost my house yet. Oh, thankful for my guitar. Oh, thankful I have a car. I, I hadn't even hit my wife yet. That's how pathetic I am. Oh, yeah, I'm thankful, even though she's sick and we don't know what's going on. I'm thankful for my wife. Oh, I still got a few friends. Okay. And I thought of, in a living in Canada, then I hit the weather because it was actually sunny that day. So I said, thank you for the weather. All these little things that I normally took for granted, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to say that at the end of that 20 minutes of thinking for things to be thankful for, that all of a sudden the peace came. It didn't. It was no different. The next day, I come to prayer again. The Lord says, tell me what you're thankful for. And we do it all over again. And then the next day, we do it all over again again. And then we do it again and again and again because that's what he told me to do. It's the last thing he told me to do. He hasn't changed the program yet and I don't have any choice because my life is chaos. But I just give thanks for all these little things. And then throughout the day I'm driving along and I see something to be some little thing and I'm thankful for it. And I begin to acquire the training of being a thankful person. Well, you know this, how the story ends. The peace came. The peace came and it's never left.
The reason I lost my peace and my hope is because I was basing my peace and my hope on my present circumstances. There's a flaw. There is a crack through which your hope and peace leave. That crack is your calculation of your hope and peace based on your present circumstances. I had unconsciously, listen, I had unconsciously begun to define God's love and goodness as the present blessings I was experiencing or negatively not experiencing. Hello? Is there anyone in this room that does that? Other than all of us? I mean, don't we? Isn't that human? Isn't that what we do? We're stuck in the now. So here in the now, the now's not good. So God's not good. The now is defining our entire understanding of the eternal God. Hello? We're defining the infinite eternal God based on my present circumstances. Is that whacked or what? I mean, really? And most of us do this most of the time. We're happy and we're at peace as long as our present circumstances are good. Or at least as long as the future looks promising. Let me drill down on that. I'm okay if my present circumstances aren't so good as long as when I look forward into the future, it's promising. Promising. Meaning. That the future looks like God is going to come across with what I have been asking for. That's promising. Like he's made his promises and now he has to come across with the promises. So that makes it promising. So that means I can get through the present as long as I think in the future I'm going to get what I've been asking for. And as long as our circumstances look like they might improve, we have a measure of hope. But do you understand that's still hope based on circumstances? That's all it is. You're still banking on the same thing. Only it'll be circumstances in a little while rather than circumstances right now. As long as we can keep that promising thing in the future in, in, in control, we're okay. Maybe we have some measure of hope. And we also define not just the hope, but we define God's presence in our lives by the proximity of Proximity of his blessings. Hello? He's present for me as long as the blessings are somewhere nearby. So now hope and presence are being defined by circumstances and particularly the presence of blessings. His presence is being defined by the presence of blessings, which is to say his presence is nothing more but his blessings. Hello? Is this convicting? Do we do that? Is this human nature? Yes and yes. We define God's presence in our lives by the proximity of his blessings rather than his actual personal presence with us. Now here's the problem. When we do that, we have a problem, and the problem is this. The Bible does not promise us continuous, pleasant circumstances or perfectly answered prayers. 
If that's our understanding of the Bible, we're, we've been misled. It is when I realized this that it prompted me. I said to myself, okay, I've been defining God's love by the presence of his blessings and the promise for the future in material terms mostly or circumstantial terms. What's the bottom line of what the Bible actually promises? What are the promises that don't have to do with those things that I can actually base my hope upon? So I went on a hunt. I searched the Bible to determine what the worst case promises are. (laughs) I'm a lawyer, folks. I was a lawyer. Just tell me the worst thing that can happen and we'll plan for it. That's how lawyers work. What are the worst case promises I can absolutely count on? The ones I could actually base my hope and peace upon. And here are mine. Yours will be maybe a little bit different, but I'd like you to consider these for a minute. Here are the ones for me. The first promise I can absolutely count on is, number one, the promise of trouble. The promise of trouble. You never see this on a fridge. I've never seen in this life you will have trouble, claim it, in beautiful script with some little birds and some butterflies with a sunset in the background. I've never seen that on a fridge. I don't think I ever will, but I want to put it on my fridge. Mark, in this life, you will have trouble. And that's a promise from him. Hello, in red, red letter edition. He said it. I have now let's look, look, look what he says. This is so brilliant. Listen, I have told you these things so that in me, so that in me, you may have peace. He didn't say, I've told you these things so that when circumstances are good, you may have peace. Do you see what he's linking peace to? His presence. When you're in me. You're going to have peace, but in this world, you're just going to have trouble. Now, as unpleasant as it is to read, he's promising us the fact of trouble in our lives. Not because he brings it, not because he wills it, just because it's there. That's life in a broken world. Trouble is a fact. Listen to this. This is really good. Trouble is a fact of life, not a failure of our faith or his love. Okay, write that down. You're going to need this. Trouble is a fact of life, not a failure of our faith or his love. So you don't have to doubt your faith when you're in trouble and think, I brought all this on myself. Hello, are you listening to me? Hello. I brought, somehow we brought all this trouble on ourselves. It's our fault. No, it isn't. Sometimes it is. That's pretty easy to figure out when it usually is. You just some bonehead move, some idiot sin, and there was obvious trouble that came from it. But trouble's going to happen when you're perfect. Jesus had a lot of trouble and he never messed up. And it's not, it is not a lack of his love. Because he promises us something of him in the trouble, and that is his presence. Trouble's a fact of life, but he's promising us peace 
But it is peace that is in him, not in pleasant circumstances or even answered prayers. The peace comes because of our intimacy and our connectedness to him. It is, in fact, finding his presence that brings peace and hope. Finding his presence. If I can just connect to you, if I can just get to you today, if I can just... I woke up night before last uh, with just, just a hunger for God. It, was, it wasn't a hunger like I'm a good person. It was like a need. And I said, I just need you to talk to me. I just need you to talk to me. Just tell me. I said, I don't care what it is. You can correct me or whatever. I just want to, I just want to hear you speak to me. And the thought started to come in the middle of the night. And it was absolutely wonderful. And I went, rolled over, went back to sleep. Sometimes we just need to hear from him. Sometimes we just need to know he's still there. We just need his presence. And with his presence comes his peace and his hope. What about the presence? Can we count on the presence? Can we count on him being here? Number two, the promises I believe are absolute. Bottom line, worst case scenario. Take him to the bank. The promise of his presence. Now let's listen to this. God has said, you know this verse. We all know this verse. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. No matter what circumstances do to you, they cannot rob you of his presence. They'll make it hard for you to get through them to find his presence because they're a distraction. Dire circumstances are the biggest distraction in our life. They compete with his attention more than blessings do. Did you know that? When blessings come, you can equate them with God and say, hey, you're present in my life. I got some blessings. But when you're in dire circumstances, <laughs> it's just, you can't be here. Back to judging his presence based on the present moment, which is always a mistake. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You can take that to the bank. And I love this one. Paul. Boy, Paul knew rough times. For I'm convinced that neither death. Death is not the final measure of God's failure in your life. To die is not the final evidence that God has failed you. It is the entry into the final reward and ultimate reality. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, not the present or the future or any powers, no great height or depth, anything in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. No circumstance can separate you from his presence. The promise is unconditional. It is the promise of his presence with us no matter what we are going through. Knowing this, we always have a solution to the present problem, and that solution is his presence. The truth is this. No matter what our circumstances, we are never alone. The day you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior is the day you certified yourself never alone. You'll never be alone again. 
And boy, that means a lot to me. Because people will leave you and people will fail you and, and husbands will leave you and wives will leave you and family will leave you and all sorts of things will leave you and you think you're alone. But with him, you are never alone. And that comfort of knowing I can talk to him no matter what I'm going through and if I can calm down enough and just stay, say it, just, just stay still for long enough, his thoughts are going to come into my mind and I'm going to have his friendship because I'm never alone. Number three, I'm banking on this, the promise of heaven. We don't talk anywhere near enough about heaven because we live in the most affluent country that has ever existed in human history. And we are materialistic beings. We define our lives by our stuff. And so heaven is what we can create and enjoy here and now. There's a form of American music that I absolutely love. It's Appalachian Bluegrass. And it was written, most of the songs were written by the poorest people that have ever existed in the United States in history. They lived in shacks and they ate roadkill. Really. I mean, it was horrible. Dirt poor. We're talking like phenomenally neglected people. And they wrote this gospel bluegrass music and they wrote these songs about heaven. Oh, man. I listen to those songs and I just start to cry. These people had hope, and it wasn't circumstantial. And they sang about heaven over and over and over again, and what it would be like to be finally home. And they're the happiest, most positive, most uplifting. When I'm driving on a long trip, going to Phoenix or something like that, I, I put on Amy Lou Harris's Angel Band album. With Ricky Skaggs. The songs are just phenomenal. This makes me happy listening to them. I'm going there someday. That place they're singing about, I'm going there someday. And so are you. If you're in Jesus. In my father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. Red letter words. Listen, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we have a bottom line. The bottom line is that we as Christians have a bottom line. No matter what suffering you're experiencing now, you are going to heaven. Those years of depression that I went through, it was, a, it was a sickness of the heart. It was a hopelessness and a despair. And at one point, the Lord came to me in a meeting. I went forward for prayer. It was an invitation for pastors who wanted to quit the ministry. Now, that was an invitation I could go forward for. So I went forward. I'm standing there. 
And I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord about how much I hurt inside. And I said to him, and he said to me, you know, it won't always be like this. And I said, like what? And he said, you know, there's an invitation for broken people to come forward and you come forward and and you just hurt. And you stand in front of me and you just hurt. He said, it won't always be like that. I said to him, it's been like that so long, I can't remember what it feels like not to hurt like this inside. This has become my reality. I don't know what it feels like not to hurt like this. And he said, soon I'm going to come to you with raw power. And I'm going to heal your heart. And I said, the word soon to you means one thing. It means quite another to me. I said, soon to you is a couple thousand years. I said, I doubt it. I mean, look, when you're really in despair and you're really ruined, you don't play games with God. You just tell him what you really think. I said, I doubt it. I said, but I'll tell you one thing, Lord. I said, I don't care how you do it and what it looks like. I don't care how embarrassing it is. I said to him, I don't care if you hang me upside down by my feet in front of a thousand people and bang me against a wall. Just do what you have to do to get me out of this. And he said, soon I'm going to do it. And about three weeks later, Shelley and I went down to Toronto back in 95. 96. And we're in this meeting. Harry Virgo is speaking about brokenness in the life of a leader. And as he speaks, there's, there's 5,000 people there. And I had struggled to get to the front. I was in the second row, right in front of the stage. And he was speaking about brokenness in the life of a leader. And I was checking them off. I had like 10 points of brokenness. I went, yes, got it, got it, got it. I got two of those. I'll trade for one of those. Going through this list. And I mean, it's just like, (laughs) you're describing my life and it's terrible. And I said to myself, you know, if he has an altar call at the end of this for broken people, I'm going forward. And then I thought, no, I don't care whether he has an altar call or not. I'm going forward. And he ended his sermon and he said, There's a number of pastors here who, as soon as he said there's a number of pastors here who, I knew what the rest of it would be, who are broken and you want to quit. And me and this one other guy ran around this post and got up there in the I will receive position. Let's get prayed for. And I'm in the I will receive position. Let's get prayed for. And this old lady comes along. Now, I say old lady now. I was like young then. She would be maybe my age now, this broken down, old, ruined lady. And I'm in the I will receive, you know, touch me God position. My hands are out like this. And she comes up and she looks at me and smiles and she doesn't say a word. She just takes her index fingers and she places them there and there in my open hands. And I think, oh, this is so cheesy. But hey, I'm broken. What can I complain about? And she starts to pray. I, I, I don't remember a word of what she prayed. All of a sudden, this electricity starts running from here through my body to the other side, and I start shaking. And pretty soon, I'm shaking so hard, I'm bouncing up and down. And my jaw is locked. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. This is like what happened to me 10 years ago when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I knew it was God. And all of a sudden, it strikes me, this is raw power. 
This is raw power flowing through me. God told me three weeks ago. I'm going to come with raw power. I'm going to set you free. And it lasted about 15 minutes of just looking like an idiot at the front of the church. And then just like that, it ended. And I opened my eyes and she looked her little grin and smiled and went to the next person. (laughs) She never said a word. You know, she knew this guy's been baked. Stick a fork in him. He's well done. And when I opened my eyes and looked at her, all of a sudden I realized there's no pain inside. Gosh, there was, I had been living with that pain for years. It was gone. It was gone. And I, I realized I don't feel that. That was 1995. That pain has never come back. Today, now here's my point. This, all this stupid story, it has a point. Okay? I could not remember that pain afterwards. I can't to this day. I know it happened. I know it was very bad. Factually, I understand what I went through. I cannot get in touch with what that pain was. I can't remember it. Okay, heaven. You won't be able to remember this present suffering. You will know it happened. Because it's historic. But you will not be able to get in touch with this pain that you're now experiencing. It is gone. And it is replaced by living in the epicenter, the source and fountainhead from which all joy and peace flows. You won't be living in the peace. You'll be living in the source of the peace. You will be inside of God. You will be incapable of having a negative thought. You will try to have a negative thought and he will laugh at you and say, keep trying. It's not going to work. You're here now. You're in me. Those days are over. That is your bottom line. So don't tell me you have no hope. That's how you're going to spend eternity. Unable to remember any of the pain that you're experiencing. And no one can take that hope from you. Only you can throw it away. We just... We don't think enough about heaven. We don't think enough about what it will be like to live inside of God. Inside of His personality. Inside of His character. Inside of His love. Inside of His power. Inside of His joy. This cheers you up just thinking about it. Just the idea of it. Brings hope. What will the reality be like? We always have a reason to be thankful because we have Him. He is our bottom line.
Well, let's apply this. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to look inside yourself. Look at your fear. There's fear that lives there. We all have fears inside. Take a look at it. Just this once, be fearless about your fears. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Look at it. Admit it. Lord, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I worry about. What I'm trapped in. Now imagine Jesus is standing in front of you. And he says, give that fear to me and I'll give my peace to you. Exchange this with me. Give me your anxiety. Give me your fear. Give me your worry about the future. And I'll give you my peace. Take it out of yourself. Reach inside and take hold of the fear and the anxiety and just pull it out and hand it to him. Now let him reach inside of himself and take his peace and his hope and reach out and place it in your heart. think about being with him forever. Completely free. Completely free of everything about yourself you don't like. Completely free of your anxiety, your worry, fear, your shame. Filled with the joy you've never experienced before. Beyond your wildest imagination. Surrounded by people that are equally filled with joy. Every moment. Because you're living in joy. You're living in peace. 
you're living in Him. And it's never going to end.